Hello, world. Welcome to the Speed Strength Show. I'm Tommy. I'm Braden. And can you count to zero? Yeah, because you can count backwards. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I actually just... Or like, count down, I guess, is the more appropriate way. Right before we started this, I remembered that that was possible. So, <laughs> Did you ask that question with the, <laughs> the notion that you can only count in one direction? Well, that's... So, yeah, like if we... Is it possible to count up to zero? Oh. Do you think? Well, you can count up from negative numbers, right? I guess so. Like purely from a mathematical standpoint, I think you can like be at minus 10, then minus nine. Like is, what is that? Is that integers? Is that what they're called when you deal with like yeah, whole numbers that are positive or negative or whatever? Yeah, those would be integers. Which which one's the the number system where it's whole numbers that are only positive? Is that like oh I know what you're like, yeah, it has a specific Yeah. This name. Was, this has become more math related than I originally promised it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I was curious what you were meaning by very mildly mathematic. Yeah. I think is what you said off air to me. Yeah. The intro would be. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm curious to see what or hear what mildly, very mildly mathematic would be. And this has quickly become more than I think I know in the world of mathematics. Yeah. I remember this was like, I don't know, middle school stuff, probably like the different number systems, but I forget what they are. Anyway, there, that is one. So if we're only in that one, like if you have to, I guess to me, if you're counting, I looked at the definition of counting and it's determining the number of items in a set, generally speaking. So oh, in that okay, situation, so you would go like, typically you would go like, I have a water bottle here. So if I'm counting the number of water bottles, I would go one, two, three, I would start at one. So that's why I'm like, is it possible to count to zero? Cause zero is the absence of anything. Yeah, and zero and negative numbers really only exist in a like a theoretical or a make-believe sense. Yeah, there isn't math, a negative, right? um, uh, like to an extent. Yeah, I guess. Like I, it's like you said, if you were counting as like it, by that definition, the number of whatever within a set of something. Mm -hmm. If we are in reality. I don't see, oh, I have five paper clips over there. Oh, but on that table, I have negative three paper. I know there's three of them there, but they don't exist. They're in bit like. Yeah, you're never going to have negative three of anything. Yeah. So the in terms of that style or that way of thinking, you would only ever have the lowest possibility is zero. I have no of whatever yeah. it is we're talking about in this given set. Yeah as where the negative numbers do exist in a mathematical mm -hmm. or conceptual. I forget what it's called. It, what's the, the, I feel like we should know this because we went to Waterloo and they had the math program. That was the only, what was it like theoretical or conceptual math program in the country? Oh yeah. I don't know. Cause they My dealt with like, what in... we were talking like what we're talking about here. Like, imaginary numbers effectively yeah i mean like my brother was in math so i mean i could ask him this question or well he would know what the number systems are anyway um i know that there's a real number system there's the integers there's and then there's other ones those are the only two that i know the names of and then well there's imaginary numbers as well which is like the square root of negative two or something like that yeah because i just remember people talking about pure mathematics being available at waterloo mm-hmm that's where it sounded like at other schools, they just had, uh, I want to say more practical like math. Applied, math. yeah. <laughs> yeah, math you would actually use, not just making numbers and theories up Yeah. in this vacuum of mathematics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know a couple of people that are like doing their masters and PhDs and like the pure math type stuff. And it's, it's interesting. It's like, yeah, because it's just, like, it, I don't understand, but it's like, it's out there. 
it exists, yeah. but it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Because um, it exists as in there's the theories and they can talk about it and discuss it, but it doesn't actually exist in a, in a real world or applied scenario. Yeah. Well, not yet anyway. Like yeah, I think maybe not yet, but the, the foundation, like those could be the foundation for like, uh, like computer stuff, like AI stuff or, uh, like quantum quantum AI. Oh, wow. It's going to be the big thing in, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 20 years. Um, the other like pivot off of that question, if we established that, yes, you can count to zero, I was going to ask, are you always counting to zero? Unless you are counting to a different number, are you always like recognizing that there isn't a whatever item around? Oh, like you mean within the set? And yeah, like right now I'm in my bedroom. There are no horses in my bedroom. I know that. So am I currently counting to zero amount of horses? That's a. I want to say no. Do you think it's got to be like an active process? Yeah, because I'm just, I'm envisioning, like, I don't know if your brain would be wasting brain power subconsciously in the background going, I wonder how many horses are in the room. I wonder how many zebras <laughs> there are. And I, I wonder how many, zero. you know, double A batteries are kicking around in here, like just random items that you can think of. Yeah, you just got a little, a little voice in the back of your head. Like, can we do a quick zebra check? Zero. Yeah, and okay, it's just cool. going through every possible. I'll check that off. Yeah. Person, place, thing. <laughs> you know, there is. Yeah. Yeah. There is no other city in your room. There is no other person in the room. There's no like. Yeah. So that's why I feel like you have to actively like you're looking for something like oh I need blank. Mm. Oh, I have five of them or something mm. like that. Right. So I guess if you're, if you're on like a road trip or something like you go, I know you've been like up North ish Quebec kind of with your family a couple of times anyway. Um, yeah. I made a number of road trips to like Montreal and gone up North before and yeah, different things so, like that. So when you're in those more like rural, not even rural, like wilderness areas, like those like highways with just forest and rock on either side. Um, I don't know about you, but I am like scanning for moose and deer all the time. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm doing that and I'm looking for those and I'm always identifying that there isn't any, would that be like I'm counting to zero in that situation potentially? Maybe. And, yeah. and the reason why is because I think there's like an active component. Yeah. Like you are, That's fair. you are making the, you're consciously trying to find a, a deer or a moose or some type of wildlife yeah. in your surroundings and you're not finding any. Mm -hmm. So you'd be counting to zero. But if I asked you, were you counting how many, I don't know, airplanes were parked in the forest? You probably weren't even thinking about looking for airplanes parked in the forest because no. that's a ludicrous thing to do. Yeah. So I would say that you weren't counting to zero for those because you you weren't even thinking about that. But for the moose or the deer, or caribou or whatever you might be finding, mm -hmm. I could I could understand then the argument saying yes, I'm counting to zero because mm. I'm looking for this thing, but I have zero. I don't have right. any. Can't find any. So would we potentially say then counting to zero? at least in some definition could be looking for something and failing. Counting to zero is failure. Like you fail to find something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your inability to track something down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Interesting. That's cool. I didn't, yeah, I didn't expect us to get to that point, but yeah, that's cool. That was our very mildly mathematical conversation. Yeah, it took a, a mild mathematical turn. Like it took an aggressive mathematical turn and then, then we, back to mild. Oh, yeah. As soon as we ended up, I had to yeah, steer. <laughs> it. It's like, ah, this is too mathy. Got to get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Um, I don't. I was going to say, I don't even 
try. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, he's trying to transition this. I was like, I don't even know if it's doable. Well, I don't know. Like there, maybe there's times where in your warmup, maybe not in your warmup because you know what you're doing. And I generally speaking know what I'm doing, but maybe when athletes try to warm up, they start doing something and you have to take the wheel and know we're going to come back over here. And this is going to be a better way to do it for now. I don't know. I don't know if you have athletes that try to do some, some dumb stuff or weird stuff in warmups. Um, I know well, I have a lot of athletes that just do dumb and weird stuff, regardless of what yeah. phase of the session we're in. I know that I definitely at times have, uh, well, I mean, completely skipped the warm up and just gone straight to deadlifting four plates. So, or speeding uh, through the warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 10 minutes behind, but I'll catch up to everybody. That drives me crazy, man. Like that happens. It doesn't happen, I guess, a lot, but I know there's there's one guy that like he does all his drills, but he does them super fast and is not mindful about it. Um, and then another guy, yeah, if he's running late or had a busy day or whatever, and he's training late, then yeah, half-assed the warm up. Just jump. Oh, where are you at right now? Okay, I'm jumping in with you. Whatever yeah. you've already done, I'm not doing. Yeah, yeah, that that drives me crazy. It drives me crazy, and I guess for some people it wouldn't. But some people need the warmups. Like, if you're, if you're a powerlifter, then, you know, if you don't have any issues, then, like, yeah, just go in and start squatting. And if you need to do something, then do it. But if you're good, then you're going to do everything you need to do while you, like, take the bar and one plate and move your way up from there. But if you, if your bar squat looks terrible, then you need to do a warm-up. I mean... I'd say almost everyone needs to, right? I mean, leading into, I mean, I guess I should say if we're talking warmups today. Yeah. Just FYI. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned warmup enough times where I was like, I think it's pretty clear we're, oh yeah, we're going to talk warmups because then we're just, we're also going to just like in the intro, hard turn. Yeah. Different direction. <laughs> and just kidding. It's not about warmups. Um, but I don't know what you think. Like to me, a warm up is to prepare for your training session yeah. at the end of the day. So yeah. a warm up can look very different for a number of different people, mm -hmm. as long as it accomplishes the goal of preparing you for what you need to do in your session. Mm -hmm. And the session's probably going to dictate what you have to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like in the specific context I'm in now if someone's going to wear spikes and run full speed, that warm up looks very different to prepare for that session than it does for, you know, someone's going to hit the bike for do some like low interval work on the bike mm -hmm. or some easy tempo running. The warm up looks really different because you're preparing for a different output. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure in, in your world and, you know, team sports is a little different because you never know what the coach is going to do. Like a like getting ready for practice or games, you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, a game, it's going to be very high intensity, so you have to prepare them to go into something high intensity. But, you know, I'm thinking of like a, a volleyball coach or a basketball coach or a hockey coach or anything like that, and they go, oh, yeah, today will be an easier practice. Mm -hmm. And you never know when they're just going to, you know, they see something and they're like, all right, that's it. Yeah, like, like today we're, we're, just... <laughs> we're turning up the intensity here. So. Mm -hmm. I feel like you always have to prepare the athletes for worst case scenario in that standpoint, because you aren't actually the one who's dictating the pace of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would agree that you definitely need to, um, the warmups purpose is to prepare you for the session. Um, and yeah, the way you would warm up for like in, in my situation, um, like if I'm dealing with the volleyball kids, then like the way that we would warm up, like we'll typically do like a warm up for jump sprint stuff. And then we'll do like another bit of a warm up for weight room stuff because I want them to be prepared in a different way for those things. Um, if I'm, I mean, with power lifters, you would probably warm up for a squat session. Uh, different than you would warm up for a deadlift session, potentially, not necessarily, but potentially. And if it's a bench only session, you might warm up differently still. Um, 
you might want to warm up in between lifts, like do your squat warm up and then you do your bench warm up before you bench. Well, I mean, uh, with the breaks you guys take, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got uh, 20 like just, minutes between stuff. So you're like, okay, I should probably get moving around again before yeah. I, well, in competition you do for sure. Yeah. In competition you will for sure. But, um, just in training. Um, but for me, like, I think the warm up, if you're warming up to compete, like you're hitting your opener squat, um, that warm up to me should look exactly the same as if you're warming up for your, you know, four by eight at 70%. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't in that respect, it doesn't change that much based off of intensity. Whereas for you, it, it seems to, seems to change. Well, yeah, I think that's just cause like in track and field in particular, people spend a very long time warming up. Yes. You've, um, you've mentioned the extensivity of it, which I mean, yeah, if you're going full speed and it's high intent competitive type intensities, then, then it makes sense. But I don't want someone to warm up for an hour just to go do 15 minutes of tempo running. Like that's to me, that's a waste of everyone's time. So it, yeah, the, the level of intensity, the, the output that we're going to have in the session is, is going to vary what we do in, in warm up. And I forget exactly where I heard this. I want to say it was, uh, I think the last name was Foley. He's from the state somewhere. Anyway, I was, there was a, a presentation I was watching and he had described he's like a, a great warm up in his mind. You didn't know where it ended and where the session started. And that's sort of what led me to go, okay, that makes sense because the purpose of a warm up is to prepare for the session. And depending on what the intensity of the output of that session is, if you did a good job of blending the warm up or the prep and the session together, then you've obviously done a great job preparing for that because you had no idea. Oh, this thing we were doing is that is that the last part of the warm up or is that the first part of the training session? Doesn't matter. That means you've probably done a good job blending it all together and generally ramping up the intensity and the focus of what it is that you want to do leading into the actual session. So I think that's always that's a was like a great piece of like advice or a little gem that I heard and. That's something that I share with a lot of coaches I work with or like students I teach or things like that. I'll always like when we're talking about, you know, what do we do in warm up? What's the goal? It's like, Hey, we got to prepare for the session and the better job you can do blending it all together where the athletes don't know what's the end of the warm up, What's the start of the session? Probably the better job you've done getting mm-hmm. them ready. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that for sure. Definitely ramping up the intensity and that's kind of that's kind of why like in a I think in anything explosive and speed related like at least for me like the main thing is just get everything warm and get fluid to all of the important tissues and I think there's a lot of value in exploring like end range of motion as well like not not static stretching but like getting into uh, close to end range anyway. Um, but I think the most important thing is just get things warm and get things like moving fluidly and then ramp up the intensity. But for things that are slow, like, like powerlifting is slow, um, like you're going to do that and that's important. But um, And I guess this kind of goes with where does the session start and the warm-up end, like, if you are, you know, you could come in and you would maybe start with foam rolling or whatever, and then some dynamic stretching. And, and then maybe you do some like weighted dynamic stretching. People like to do like hold a, a kettlebell and like do hip rocks or whatever. Um, and then maybe you goblet squat with the kettlebell and then you take the bar and then you add weight to the bar and stuff. And like, that's a very gradual transition, right? So people would, you know, the foam rolling is definitely warm up. And the dynamic stretching is definitely warm, but after that, you're not really sure. Um, you know, and 
And then, but, but I could also see like, if someone doesn't need to do all that hip stuff, like if they have good hips, if they're, you know, relatively mobile, they have good technique, like just walk, come in, take the bar. And if you need to do more stuff to like loosen things up, then you can do that. But, you know, you will get into all the ranges you need. If you just take the bar, you will, you know, warm up the tissues. If you just take the bar and then you start adding weight to it and, you know, you can take relatively short rests in between your warm-up sets and get the heart rate elevated a little bit and all those sorts of things. And um, so I guess for me in a powerlifting context, the session starts when you touch the bar, but for other people, like you, those are warm-up sets. So like everything until your working set might still be warm up. So I guess that's the distinction for me. Well, I mean, the beauty in that too, is that that's the way you view it, but some of your athletes might view it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. They might feel like, oh, this is still part of the warm up. I'm not lifting super heavy yet. Or, oh no, this is like bridging the gap. Cause Jay brought up a really good point the other day mm -hmm. uh, when we were all talking and he mentioned that he's tried to get away from the word warm up mm. because then you have that idea of this is the warm up, this is the training session. Mm. And people tend to take the training session way more uh, with a way more focused or purposeful attitude than they do the warm up because just like this is the warm up and people don't like to warm up. Mm. And I think it applies nicely to that blending part because, for example, like you said, does the session start when you touch the bar? Maybe, maybe not. But if you're still warming up, let's say, cause you have an empty bar and then you're bringing load onto the bar gradually as you work up your working sets. If somebody thinks, Oh, this is still warm up, They might not be super dialed in or intent, mm -hmm. but if they think, Oh yeah, now I have the bar on my back. This feels like part of the session. Mm -hmm you can change some of the intent of the focus where they go, yeah, now I have the bar. This is, this is closer to my sport. This feels like my sport. I'm going to be a little bit more dialed in mm -hmm. for that. So I think that was a great point that Jay brought up the other day when we were chatting that by changing the, the name of what it is could also change the intent as mm -hmm. well. Right. Yeah. I think I have, Noticed that like two examples of that um, with the power lifters. Um, one, I guess, like I don't program all of their warm up sets. Uh, I don't, I don't program any warm up sets really. But sometimes I'll have like a purposeful ramp. Or um, when we uh, talked about the potentiation stuff, I started doing after that. I started doing uh, like wave sets, and I've had a lot of success with that actually. Um, <clears throat> so. I could set like you're doing three sets of three at this weight. But if I'm instead like saying like three here, three here, and then like another two or three sets at this weight, um, I do find that like me programming those warm up sets helps them put a little bit more intent into those like last two warm up sets. And, and then they feel more prepared for those like working sets versus if it's just the working sets and they're doing whatever they want, then um, yeah, I think sometimes for more mental lifters, they don't feel ready all the time. And, but if they've done this stuff, then they feel ready. Like I'm, I've done this already kind of thing. Um, and then the other thing was sometimes there's been a couple of times where I want to put more emphasis on like a warm up drill or it's, it's more like prehab kind of stuff. Um, and if I put that in the warm-up section or I just message them like, hey, add this into your warm-up, um, I find that kind of a thing doesn't have as great of a, an adherence as if I put those two exercises at the beginning of their workout in their like training section of the sheet. So instead of starting with squats, you start with, step ups and you know single leg rdls and then you get into your squats but this is part of your workout yeah and that's why i thought it was important like those were the first two notes i'd written down was the comment from this coach that i heard about blending the the warm-up and the workout and then the point jay mentioned about 
maybe changing the name of the warm-up to change the intent. And I thought those two things going together nicely. And I mean, I, I don't think we have the time in an episode or even 10 episodes to go over all the possibilities of what you could do in warm-up. I mean, it, it, it's virtually endless. And so anyone listening, like you're the expert with your athletes, the sport you're working with and all those types of things. So I think those were important like concepts or underlying principles you could follow that, okay, like what am I programming and warm up? What am I programming in the session? Do they blend together nicely? So that way I may be imp- improving the intent of what's happening. Cause the athlete goes, Oh, this feels like part of the training session. This, this is important. Or like the way Jay talked about, do you change the name of it? And do you maybe do something more on the surface level to change the, the intent, but I didn't, yeah, it's going to be tough to get into like really nitty gritty specifics of like, do this exercise or do this drill. Cause there's so many to pick from, but I thought those were, like I said, really important underlying principles or concepts that if you're applying those to your warm up or your prep or whatever it is that you want to call it, you can probably put together like a pretty good overall session in general. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, like the specifics about it are so context dependent. So we couldn't like, there isn't a best warm up because the best warm up, A, you're probably never going to find it. And like, just like anything else and, you know, human related stuff, you're never going to find it. But um, it changes with absolutely every single activity that you could imagine doing. So, um, but I mean, there, I guess there's, there are more principles to consider depending on different populations like i i just when when i was talking about the power or i mean any athlete honestly if they have things that they need to do to make lifting better then that needs to be in their warm-up and if an athlete doesn't have those things or i mean if you as the coach haven't found those things then those things don't need to be in the warm-up if that makes sense like like I said, there's probably always something that will help, you know, this training be better. If you don't know what those things are, then it, um, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but <clears throat> if I have like a power lifter that has a hard time hitting depth, then you absolutely need to be doing your hip mobility or your ankle mobility or your, you know, T-spine mobility or whatever. In your whatever warm-up. it is, it's going to address that issue. Exactly. Cause we need you hitting depth and like, not only do we need you to continue to work on it. So it becomes easier for you to do that. But like, I, I don't want you half squatting weights because that doesn't really tell me anything about how we progress to next week or how ready you are for competition, because that's a different activity. You well, know? you won't be ready for competition because you're going to get red flagged exactly. every single lift if you don't hit depth. So Exactly. So like with those athletes that they need to do stuff, I always tell them like, if you have to skip all of your accessories, that's fine, but you need to do your warm up because you need to be ready for the main lifts um, versus they'll yeah rush through the warm up, rush through their main lifts, rush through their accessories and they get everything in. That's great, but it's all shit. So it doesn't yeah, matter. You wasted your time. Um, or like, yeah. There, and then there's other, other stuff like one of the volleyball kids I work with, um, like we do a lot of like upper back stuff for him before he does overheads, like anything overhead, generally speaking, um, because like one side's not bad overhead and then the other side's not great overhead. So um, especially like overhead squats, if he does a good warm up, then it looks pretty symmetrical. And if he doesn't do a good warm up, then it's pretty tilty. So in those kinds of situations, it, it matters versus someone who doesn't have those things like, as long as you're warm and you're relatively mobile, then you're probably fine. Would you say you use the warm up as a training tool then? And the yeah. reason I ask is because there's two concepts I've kind of been playing with and I'm not really sure where I'm at at this stage. Um, Cause I mean, there's a way that you can think about the warm up as a training tool, a little bit like what you're describing. Right. And also if you think about, well, how many minutes do you spend on the warm up? How many times a week do you warm up? And you multiply that by how many times you train, like how many weeks you train throughout the year. You probably end up with like a substantial amount of hours 
And you're like, well, that's 40, 50 hours we could put towards making, like you said, a change in range of motion or mobility or motor control or, or something of that nature. And then by using it as a training tool, the warm up is kind of changing and evolving over the course of an athlete's career as they get better at certain things or other weaknesses get identified. So that was something I did a lot with team sports compared to now that I'm working primarily with individual sports. You know, I'm using it more as like a readiness tool and there's way more consistency. I'm kind of establishing a warm up at the start of our training year and running that exact warm up the whole way through because then you get to see the athletes performing the same movements, the same actions day in and day out. And then you can start to notice, Oh, this looks a little different today or they look good today. They maybe don't look so good today. And that's going to help me, me and them decide how they feel because you've done this warm up over and over and over again. So you have this level of consistency with it where you can go, yeah, you know, it doesn't feel very good today or, Oh yeah, I feel really good today. And now I'm, now I'm kind of caught in the middle where I've done both of these. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, should I view warm up or prep as a, as a training tool, or should I view it more from this consistency standpoint? Cause you can't necessarily get both because you, you have to do different things. So that's why I was curious kind of where you're coming from with the people you work with. Cause I've done a bit of both and now I'm at a crossroads where I'll be honest, I'm not too sure which is the best or which is better to choose in a given scenario. I mean, I, I think in sports that are consistent, like track is one where you know that you're going to be, you know, running a hundred meters on game day. And in practice, you're going to be running maybe not a hundred meters, but it'll, it's the same activity and it'll be, you know, within a certain percentage of that distance anyway. Um, I think in those situations that the consistency can be beneficial, um, especially if you find something that works really, really well, like it, it then like, I'm just going to do that every time. Cause I feel my squats feel good when I do that, or my sprints feel good when I do that. So I'll just keep doing, keep doing that. And if it stops working, then that, then you can change it. But um, I do think there's, an element of like, there's a benefit in the consistency and like the routine of it even. Um, <clears throat> and that sort of thing, just because with those sports, I think generally speaking, you do want to make everything as consistent as possible. Um, but even within that, like I would still, I like the idea of it's a training tool and like a readiness, like preparation kind of thing. Um, so it's both of those and the amount of consistency is probably more to do with like whatever the activity is going to be. Um, cause yeah, I think like, I like to use warmups to like prepare them for the activity, but I also like to use warmups to like work towards an adaptation that I feel will be beneficial. Like hip mobility or ankle mobility, or, um, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about like foot mechanics and stuff. And so I, that's something that I feel like I've overlooked a lot. So I'm going to start to implement that stuff with my, with my athletes a little bit more. And, um, and with like team sport athletes where their sport is very variable, I think it's beneficial for their warm up to be very variable. Um, and within that you can still work on, you know, movement skills or things like that. Um, but it's still a tool in that way where it's, um, I guess you're, you're choosing the elements on purpose. It's not just, it's not just random. It's not just, you know, whatever you want to do is fine kind of thing. Well, yeah. And the reason I asked you is because I've tended to use the, the training tool, let's call it, perspective with team sports. Cause like you said, there's a lot of variability and you also may get less training time with them, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not uncommon for individual sport athletes to have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 sessions in a week. So, I mean, 
when you have that many sessions, do you need to, you know, try to implement even more into the warm up? You probably haven't, if, if you can't get the adaptations you're looking for in 10 weekly sessions, you're probably not doing something well, I think. Right. So the warm up is a little bit more. Can we just, can we get prepared? Can we go to the, to the activity we're going to do versus a team sport? You know, if I think about when we were working at Waterloo or when I was at Mac or something like that, some of these team sport athletes, you maybe saw once or twice a week. So then, you know, yeah, the 10 or 15 minutes you're warming them up on the court, you can like sneak some things in there effectively going, okay, I need a little bit more of a, B and C. Let me put that into the warm up, and then they see it three, four five times a week. So that's kind of where like, yeah, with team sports and unpredictable sports, I was tending to using it more as a training tool, but now at the individual sports, I've tended to use it more as like a readiness tool or a way to pick up on, are they moving in a, like in an outlier kind of way? Like, Oh, I've never seen that before. They, they look a little rough today or, or whatever. And so I hadn't really given it much thought as to how could I bring the two back together? Or you, you tend to get a little bit complacent. Hey, this worked with the team sports. This worked with the individual sports. It works. I'm just going to keep rolling with it. And, and that's fine if you've gone and kind of questioned it and like, oh, could I do this in a better way? And that point I haven't got to yet. So this is, this was a good like kind of episode discussion to have because now it's getting me thinking about okay, I'm using it this way for team sports. I'm using it this way for individual athletes. But is there a way that, is that the, the best way for me to do it? Is there a way that I can start to cross some of those, those two things over? Um, and that was more kind of the quandary I'm at now where it's like, oh. And you're doing a little bit the same. Like you've worked with individual sports. You're working with team sports. So that's what I was kind of curious, maybe what approach you were taking with with some of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point to bring up too. Like I do think it's really easy to get complacent with the warm up, and like you do something and you see a result that's at least you perceive it as favorable. You don't know if it like would be better or worse if you did something different, but this is good enough. So just keep rolling with it. Um, which like I said, if, if it's a consistent sport, then I think that's good. Um, cause you want that consistent result, but if it's, if it's not, then, um, I mean, there might honestly, like you want the athletes to be well-prepared, but there might honestly be benefits to like having just pure variability and like, it's beneficial for you to see what works well so that when they, you know, when it comes to game day, then, you know, like, this is the stuff that works well, we'll do that. Um, but for practice, like if they're a little bit less than optimally prepared that is potentially a beneficial skill to them as athletes um, provided that no one gets hurt. Obviously you want to make sure everyone's safe, but um, you know, you want to be able to perform in a variety of situations. So from that perspective, it makes sense Um, with the team sports stuff. I've also been a little bit more um, because I'm working with kids, right? So it's, I also like to use it after, well, the first session with Jay, which you weren't there for that, but it was about like athlete autonomy and leadership and stuff. So I like to use it um, also as a time for, to give them a little bit more uh, control and like, like be creative or be like a bit of a leader and that sort of thing. So I'll just like, I'll just pick somebody like, what are we, what are we doing first? And then we go into it and um, I'll usually like guide a little bit. Um, and it's not a so complete free for all. It's not a complete free for all. And so we're kind of, you know, you're still going from like the lower amplitude stuff or lower intensity stuff to the higher intensity stuff, generally speaking, um, ending with things that make sense to get them ready for the more explosive stuff that they're going to be doing. Um, yeah. So the kid doesn't pick first thing we're doing maximal jumps. Let's go everyone. And then you're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, but, and they've been through warmups with me and with other people before. So they'd have a general idea like, okay, maybe we'll jog first or maybe we'll do lunges first or whatever. Um, so they have an idea and I also like to use it to just like, you can, 
combine those things with like pick somebody hey what are we doing first they say lunges okay cool we'll do lunges and then i'll be like okay now well, let's lunge in this different way that you haven't done before and then in this different way that you haven't done before um and then pick somebody else what are we doing next and and then you know karaoke or whatever okay cool let's do karaoke and then let's do it in this different way and that sort of thing so you you're getting both both elements there and um i think when uh, when they get more comfortable with it then you can like observe but say like okay who wants to lead warm-up today and then they're practicing those skills as well yeah and that's really along the lines of like the like the training tool or introducing some variability like you said oh yeah we've done this thing before but now great you've picked that here's this other way that you can do it and you're especially for youth athletes which again this is a whole separate conversation we could have down the road, but you're creating that, that variability, you're creating that exposure. They see a number of different movements and ways to do movements and stuff like that, which it, it, it's hard to know what tools you want to pick if you don't know what's in the toolbox. Right. So by doing stuff like that, yeah, you, you know, you expose them to a number of different ways to do different things or different mobility drills, different skipping, different, you know, all these different types of things. And then they go, Oh yeah, now I have this, you know, big list of things to pick from. It's not just, Oh, I only know how to do this warm up. So by default, I have to pick this warm up because it's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, like I said, I was just kind of curious to, to get your thought on that because those are sort of the two big I guess kind of ways that I see or that I've done warm up and prep work before is planning it and evolving it the same way training sessions evolve right like oh now we're going into some of this stuff we're going into some of that stuff so I'm going to change I'm going to progress or advance the warm up because it, it it's effectively a training tool mm-hmm. versus no I'm going to keep this warm up the same because now I want to see is the person prepared to, you know, exert maximal effort today, mm-hmm. which might be the other reason why we do that in individual sports. Cause you kind of, you ride the razor's edge the whole time. So if, you know, we're about to have a big session and we have to go fast, I want to make sure that person's ready to go fast. Mm-hmm. And if we're warming up in a way that we've only done for a week, then I may not actually know. And they might not actually know based on the warm-up we've done. Like, are you ready? Well, yeah, I feel pretty good today, but you have no benchmark for that, mm-hmm. that type of prep. And then you go out and you do something and you you get hurt. So like I said, I was curious kind of where your thought was on that. Cause mm-hmm. it's something I'm trying to think about a little bit more currently because I'm I've tried both. And mm-hmm. now I'm trying to figure out where they maybe more permanently have a place in my training philosophy. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so a question for you, like with, with team sports, typically training goes general to specific throughout the off season. Um, so to me, I don't know if it actually, it makes a little bit of sense on one hand, it makes sense to go like very general to like, less general maybe (laughs) with the warm-up you know um so you're getting a little bit more specific and repeating the things that that you like or that the athletes like or that seem to be you know beneficial or or maybe they're position specific or something like that um is there i imagine there is like a more general to less general phase for you in like track stuff as well um, like with the, with the warm up, you mean, or with, the- well, with, with training, I imagine that there is just like there's, I guess there's a more general to less general kind of periodization for me and powerlifters. Um, do you see value in having like a more general warm up at one point? And then when it gets into like the competitive season that you want to be very specific and like consistent with that warm up? Yeah. So we definitely have phases where it's like more general and then it moves to stuff that's more specific, right? Like, so at the start of a training season, you would never see the blocks out at the track or, 
you know, jumpers, horizontal jumpers on the runway, taking off of the board and landing in the pit or, th- or things like that. You won't see a lot of things that look exactly like what you would see in competition. And then obviously as we get closer and closer to the competitive season, it looks more and more like high jumpers are jumping over the bar and pole vaulters are running with sticks and sprinters are coming out of blocks and whatnot. We do like with the team here, we do have two different warmups that we use. And one is for the higher intensity days and one's for the lower intensity days. So one is like a much longer, fuller warm-up that's like close to an hour long that we use to get ready for big days. The other one is like a quick 10, 15 minute kind of moving around. And then we're getting into, you know, tempo running or circuits or something that's relatively low intensity anyway. And those warm-ups stay as is throughout the entire year. But then obviously the the lighter warm-up tends to disappear as you get closer to the competitive season because the you're not doing as much of of that type of work. Like the lower intensity days become even lower intensity kind of thing or like lower volume and or yeah, like they're less frequent. You know, like maybe we would use that three times a week in September. We might use it once, maybe twice, depending on the week during the season. Because then those would just be off days. They'd be of... off days or travel days or other things. Yeah. Other things like that, right? So that's kind of the way that we have it set up. But then, of course, it's a little tricky because you're a team of 70, 80 athletes with, you know, eight coaches or whatever. So it, you're trying to juggle the what's a good warm up to do and also what's something around team unity so people can warm up together at the meet or, you know, you're juggling a lot of things with, with that, but that's generally what we're, what we're kind of dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, the only other real thing that I have like on here, I guess that we haven't touched on um, is some of the potentiation. I put potentiation slash activation stuff um which activation i think you could would probably classify that as things at the end of the warm-up that are you know preparing you in a very specific way for your activity um but i guess both of those elements have kind of like a timing uh like they're time sensitive in a way um that are influencing your performance in a much more specific way i guess Um, And we obviously went over the potentiation stuff in the series that we did. Um, But that's another potential part of the warmup that, or another way you can use a warmup anyway. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I think like, if we think back to the, at least, you know, I think we both agreed the purpose of a warmup or whatever it is you want to call it is to prepare for the session Mm -hmm. and to be ready to go. And I think that there's absolutely that idea of this potentiation or this, you know, supercharging the system to be ready to go 100% can play, can play a role in warm up because it will help you prepare for the session. Right. And I think that the, that type of work that it, it toes the line between, is it part of the prep? Is it part of the session? Mm-hmm. and can be a really useful tool to kind of bridge the two mm-hmm. together. Um, and I mean, to kind of go back to what you were asking before about like the warmups that we do, there's parts of the warmup that every person on the team will do, regardless of their event area, whatever, because it's mobility, it's skipping around, it's getting heart rate up, things like that. So it doesn't matter what event you do, you need to do those mm-hmm. things. But then closer to the end of the prep or the warm up. that's where the coaches start to input or slot in certain, you know, drills or activities or whatever that then are much more geared towards the event that you actually participate in, mm. which to your point here, you could argue is a form of, you know, potentiation mm-hmm. or some sort of drill or activity that closely replicates some part of the competition you're going to take place in. Mm-hmm. And so it's preparing the body to move 
in that way or preparing your brain to think in a certain way or, or whatever. So I definitely would agree with you on this, that there's a place for potentiation, whether you want to formally think about it from that post-activation performance enhancement perspective, or whether it's just something, Hey, this gets the athletes ready to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a really awesome way to blend the two together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Almost like the color gradient. You know, yeah. if you have like one side is clearly blue, the other side is clearly red. That type of stuff can be that color that just, you don't know where the blue ends and where the mm -hmm. red starts. It just nicely kind of blends the paint together. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, I definitely. think could be the, the potentiation piece. Yeah, for sure. Especially because a lot of times you like, you might go back and forth between a couple of things. So yeah, no, that, that makes sense. That's good. Um, I guess the other thing that I wanted to ask you, like, cause you do a lot more of the high intensity explosive speed stuff where I think like it's one of those things where you can't necessarily just do the movement to prepare for the movement. Like you can, a lot of the time, some people will benefit from doing other stuff, but I think most of the time you can just squat to be ready for squatting. Um, whereas, well, I mean, what better way to prepare for the movement you're going to do than like, that's right. The similar movement you're going to do. That's right. But I am not sure that the same thing applies to jumping and like sprinting because I, I guess I just imagine like squatting body weight and squatting, you know, 30 pounds, 60 pounds, 90 pounds, like all those things. Like it's a very smooth gradient between those things. But if you look at a lower amplitude sprint, it's a jog and then a walk, which are like, it's not like a sprint is a, or a jog is a slower sprint. It's like, it's a different movement pattern. You know, walking is a different movement pattern than jogging and like a hop is a different movement pattern than a jump, you know? So it's, like it's kind of a lower intensity version of it, but it's also just a different thing, you know? So I think the, the warm up needs to prepare you for those gaps a lot more as well. Yeah. And that's where, like, at least as an example here, and I, I've done this in the past, even before I got to working with track and field is where like kind of dropping strides and runs throughout the warm up can be a really helpful tool for that. Uh, at least I found, cause like you said, if someone's jogging, it looks completely different than someone who's striding or sprinting. Cause even like the, the mechanics, like the leg cycle, the way the foot hits the ground, all that stuff is completely different. So you can't just, like you said, jog around the track three or four times. Oh, I'm sweating. And now just run full speed. Cause you just, you've gone from one end straight over to the other into a different pattern altogether. And so like, yeah, here we'll drop some, some sprints in or strides, I should say, sporadically throughout, throughout the warmup. So we, we might start with like some mobility and some skipping stuff. So now you have that low amplitude, low intensity kind of moving around. Then you get into some like walking and skipping drills for sprinting. And then you can toss in a little set of strides and, you know, people do you know, two or three easier strides. Then you can get into some more aggressive mobility or dynamic mobility. So you start, you know, leg swings, um, things are a little bit more, it, it's the muscle is being taken through a much more rapid kind of movement compared to just like walking lunges or something like that. So now the body's moving around a little bit more, you're breaking more of a sweat. Okay. Now we can go back to some strides and move a little bit faster. And then, you know, now we might get into some very specific drills that prepare the person to, to run. So now the, some aspect of what we're doing might be closely replicated. It could be the way the foot contacts the ground, it could be the intensity of striking down into the ground, something like that. And now, okay, we can start to run a little bit faster and then 
okay, we'll do some shorter excels and now you can spike up and now you can do whatever. So throughout the entire warm up, there's pockets of these strides or these running movements and, or potentially jumping or something like that, right? If, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were like a horizontal jumper or something like that, you might now start to work in some, some different types of explosive activities, but that's generally how we've, how we've done it here. And I've done that in the past before where you sprinkle in some of the more explosive stuff intermittently with what I'll call more and more aggressive things in the warm up in terms of ramping up the intensity. Mm. Cause like you said, you have to be aware that it's, it's a completely different pattern. You can't just mm -hmm. jog and then go sprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, As where the strides are closer to the sprinting pattern. Yeah. So watching somebody run at 60 or 70% has a lot more in common with them at a hundred percent than it does if they're jogging. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. It does. I guess I was, I wasn't expecting it to be that way though. I guess I was expecting it to be more like, um, like you would have yeah, like still the slow to fast where you would start with, yeah, like your, you know, dynamic, like on the ground stretching and then into like lunges and then like a jog or a skip or whatever. Um, and then work your way up. And, but then the more specific ones might be like, this drill is replicating this part of your stride, like an A skip would replicate like the knee drive in like your acceleration or something like that. And, and then maybe you would do like an easy stiff leg bound to, you know, work on like the hamstring, like recoil and stuff like that. Um, and then kind of like piece it together from there. But that's interesting that you guys do like one piece of the warm up and then easy strides and then another piece of the warm up and then a little bit more intense strides and then another piece of the warm up and then more intense strides. Um, I mean, it sort of goes back to your squat example. Like what's the mm. best way to prepare for squatting? Well, it's the squat. Yeah. And so and it's, that's sort of the way of, well, what's the best way to prepare for running fast? Well, it's to not to run fast right away, but to move in a really similar way. And so, can we get them warm enough to run fast enough that it sort of looks like sprinting? And then you can start to gradually ramp up the intensity of, mm -hmm. of the speed on, on each run as someone becomes more prepared to like, put the foot to the floor and, and go for real. Yeah. I guess I'm just surprised to, to learn that it's not like you do all of that prep stuff and then start with like 70% strides and work your way up from there. It's like, it's, split in the middle of all of the things. Yeah. Depending on the coach, there's probably like three or four different spots within the warm up where there's some like strides or running thrown in. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's just because that uh, intensity of strides matches generally with that intensity of the warm up stuff that preceded it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I had no idea. And that's probably why the warm ups take like 10 years to complete, but well, I mean, when you're dealing with max speed and or like max jumping ability, like all of those like pure output kind of stuff, like you're uh, you don't get to spend a lot of time in the actual workout, I feel. No, and I don't want someone to die under my watch. So you know what? I'd rather I'd rather they take an extra 15 minutes and warm up and stay healthy than, mm -hmm. you know, uh, let's save some time, skip over that stuff. And let's jump into it and get hurt. I'd rather not do that. I mean, and plus that's a lot of like, like if you're doing all of that stuff, like that's potentially mobility work that you don't need to do like later in the evening or, or the next day or whatever. That's potentially like technique work that you don't need to do the next day. You know, like I know it's, it's low amplitude, low intensity, so it's not the same thing, but it's still like repetition. It's still repetition in the motor pattern. So like it's, I mean, it, sports work that way too, where you like you do your warm up, um, and then you practice like your individual skills, and then you go to like football. You would like go to indies and work on like I don't know, like we worked on pass rush moves, we worked on like hand placement on like run run block like shedding and things like that, and then we would go to you know one on ones, and then like inside run where it's more like 
it's not you versus another person. It's like a group of people against a group of people. And then, you know, into scrimmage or, and we start with install. So that's like purely cognitive and you ramp your way up and you do like the technical stuff and then you put it all together at the end. Yeah. Where it looks like a, it looks like the sport. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just that version. It's, you just have to do it different for uh, individual activities. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like by the time you've added up, like someone might say, Oh wow. Like a practice took three hours. That's forever. Mm. But you know, you spend 45 minutes warming up, you spend an hour and 15 doing something on the track and then you go and lift. It's not really that different from other sports where if you think basketball or volleyball ends up on the court for an hour and a half or two hours, which includes mm. warming up. And then maybe it's not right after or right before, but at some other point, maybe they lift it in the day. Mm. So the total time you spent in the sport is probably about the same. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. It, it, like you said, when you start the football example you gave was good where I think even in team sport, you see some of the similar things, mm. you know, going on, but well, it shows I, would, you, I think the different ways you can warm up and prep for sessions yeah. depending on the sport. And, and I would argue potentially that your track warm-up not only like it prepares you for sport and for practice and stuff the same way that like a warm-up for football would prepare you for practice. Um, but I would say that the track warm-up has potential to make you better at your sport as well. Whereas like a team sport warm-up doesn't like it might make you better at your sport because you're exploring different movement options depending on how you do it. Um, but like That's you're not getting better skill. You're not getting better at the skills exactly. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I, well, first, did you have anything else you wanted to get to? Did no. Cover everything I, on your sheet? No, I was able to get to get to the stuff that I thought about. Nice. Which again was a little bit more principles or concept, like yeah. conceptual, but that's where I'm at with this right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to figure out the well, I mean, underlying I framework for this and then throw whatever specifics on top of it. Yeah. I don't, the specifics, I don't think like when you're in the situation, they matter, but like for this right now, like people listening, they're not all powerlifting coaches or track coaches. So it doesn't, it's the concepts we, that matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, another concept that might matter is do you ramp the intensity of the music with the intensity of the warmup? I don't. You don't. No. You're just blasting it all the time. Correct. Because you want to prepare the mind, I guess, before the before the body. Yeah, or it's just like whatever I'm going to listen to that day, it's on from the start. So I might be doing very gentle mobility stuff. And if I'm lifting heavy that day, then the aggressiveness of the music and the aggressiveness of my movement does not match up. Not yet anyway. I build up to it. At a juxtaposition. Yes. That's good. That's good. So what were you, uh, what were you blasting while you were doing your gentle mobility this week? Uh, I've been listening to a little bit more Amana Marth. Never heard of that. They're a Swedish metal band. Uh, some people say they're like a Viking metal band, but that's not really a genre. I like Viking music. It's... I mean, it, they call it Viking metal because they, well, they're from Sweden and they sing about Vikings, but like mm. the music itself is very, it's very like melodic metal, mm. or melodic death metal, but it's gets the job done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I haven't listened to them in a long time. I used to listen to them a lot, like two or three years ago and then sort of fell off the radar and then i'm like oh no this this is good stuff mm -hmm. so in my attempt to explore and find different stuff in our short turnarounds for these recordings yeah uh that's where i went to this week and it's mm. it's heavy so i can lift heavy to it uh so you get a little bit of the viking rage when mm. you go to go to move weight nice i do i do like viking folk music there is uh some a number a good amount of that stuff out there too which just like old viking songs that are that are done uh, sometimes with old viking instruments 
or sometimes with modern instruments, but it's all, it's very interesting. This is uh, all modern, but they sing about yeah. obviously ancient things that probably didn't exist. Yeah. Well, yeah, like for sure. folklore. Yeah. But I mean, and the, what I'm talking about is like, it's not in English like there or Swedish or whatever. It's like old Norse, like dead languages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it sounds pretty good. Uh, you're taking a bit of a tour around Europe these days, aren't you? I guess. Uh, yeah, this week I sort of did. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Hmm. Um, I explored a little bit more, I guess. I don't know if I shared what it was going to be. I was listening to some of my brother's music, which was more rap based. Oh yeah. The rap R&B. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, yeah. I did share that. Yeah. We're in um, chronological order for these. So you're good to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, yesterday when I was driving around, I listened to a little bit of Exhibit and Young Jeezy. Um, which Isn't he Jeezy now? Hasn't he dropped the Young part? On He's Spotify, old. it's Young. Oh, maybe actually, maybe it is here. I searched Young Jeezy and and he came up, but maybe it is just Jeezy. Here, let me. I can do this really fast, so it's not. I was just. It is just to... Jeezy. It is just Jeezy. You're right. Oh, so he's officially old now. Yeah, but I listened to some of the songs when he was young. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is good. And yeah, I'm enjoying that sort of like rap, hip hop, R&B. And Exhibit, right that's a big throwback. Yeah, I like Exhibit. Exhibit has like a similar, uh, like the stuff that I like anyway, has a similar vibe to like the Ice Cube stuff that I like. So that's cool. Well, I think Exhibit's an LA guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so sure. that would explain the the similarities to Cube then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he was an LA guy yeah so and West I have, Coast hip-hop feel yeah and then there was another there was a feature on one of the Jeezy songs that I thought was pretty good that has inspired whatever you know I don't know when we're going to record next but I I know what I'm exploring next I anyway so so the most yeah. difficult part of the show is taking care of you now for the next few episodes <laughs> yeah that's right that's right but We'll see. I don't know. Maybe maybe the next one we record is going to be one of those series, potentially. I guess we're not sure. Yeah, or um, a guest, or yeah, who knows where we're where we're going. Yeah. So the the research might be a little bit more taxing than listening to music. We'll see. <laughs> Depends. Depends what yeah. we do. That's right. Um, but yeah, that was fun. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good concepts and and definitely uh, things to think about. Anyway. Yeah. Hopefully there was thought provoking things that took place for you to, you know, any of the listeners who are writing warm-ups to go, oh, I haven't thought about this. haven't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Might be important to consider play around with it. You know, mm-hmm. even if there's just one thing you took away. Yeah. I mean, I, I took something away. So yeah. Um, yeah. And anything else you want us to talk about, let us know speed strength show speed strength performance or Braden Southern. Um, and Thanks for coming along, world. That was the Speed Strength Show. We'll see you next week. Peace.